Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. So we completed the first part of our study on the book of Revelation from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 8, verse 1. And this section on your outline I like to call the beginning is the ending. And like I told you, this refers to how the beginning of the book of Revelation covers the church age and the end of the church age. I've also explained to you my theory that the seven seals are in fact the last days of the church age and that the sixth seal is symbolic of the rapture. Now, you're probably asking yourself, is there any other evidence about this in Scripture or any evidence at all that supports my theories? Well, I'm glad you asked that, and yes, there is. Today, we're going to be looking at some evidence from the Jewish traditions of the Feasts of the Lord. Let's talk about it, coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles, and I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. This ministry is designed to help believers and churches to grow deep in the knowledge of God so that they can be mature believers and be utilized by Christ as effective service to spread the gospel to a lost world. Part of our ministry is this discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. Now, I want to welcome you to our study today because this is going to be very interesting. Today, we are looking at the Feasts of the Lord to show how these feasts are very good supportive evidence of the theories that I've been teaching you on the book of Revelation. So let's get started, shall we? As you know, the Lord gave Moses a series of laws and rules for the people of Israel to follow. Part of these rules were that they were supposed to celebrate five feasts before the Lord each year, and they were supposed to do it forever. In fact, the people of Israel today and the Jewish people throughout the world still follow these feasts. Now, these feasts were significant because God was using the Jewish calendar with these feasts to symbolize certain big prophetic events in his dealings with humanity to deal with the issue of sin, and one day, his earthly kingdom as the Messiah. Now, most of these feasts can be explained and understood by reading two chapters primarily in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 23 and Deuteronomy 16. Both of these chapters go in great detail about how the feasts were supposed to be enacted. Now, we don't have time to read these chapters today, but I encourage you after you listen to this podcast or watch this video that you go back and read these chapters yourself so you can see how it would all fit in and how God was using it to explain certain key prophetic events that he was planning to do and how it fits into the gospel and also what he's planning to do in the book of Revelation. Now, the first feast was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it occurred in the first month of the Hebrew calendar. And it lasted seven days and had several events in it. 
On the 14th day of the month, they actually celebrated the Passover, which, as you know, commemorated how God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And every family was supposed to have a, a, a lamb slain and take the blood of the lamb and put it on their doorposts and on the lintel of the door. And they did this each year. And then they ate the, the body of the lamb. It was roasted and cooked after the sacrifice. They ate it. And it was part of the feast to remember how God rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. Then on the 15th day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread continued and they could not eat anything with yeast in it. Now, on the 16th day, it was called the celebration of first fruits, and the high priest would take uh, a little bit of a um, bouquet, so to speak, a little grouping, a sheaf of, of first fruits, maybe of the wheat or the harvest or whatever was growing at that time, and take the first little shoots that was coming up and take them, and use it as a, a kind of a bouquet and wave it before the Holy of Holies in the altar. And they did this the day after the Sabbath, the 16th day of this celebration. And this celebrated how the harvest was beginning, how the first little seeds were beginning to come up. And it's called the Feast of First Fruits. Now, what does this have to do with God's prophecy? and the people and, and, his, and Christianity. Well, I tell you, we know from history and from reading the Gospels that this all is symbolic of the Passover, or I should say the Passion Weekend of Christ. You see, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples the night he was arrested. And then the next day, they crucified him. He was called the Lamb of God, and he shed his blood so that we could be rescued from the slavery to our sins and have our sins forgiven. The symbolism of having no yeast in the house is talking about no sin. Yeast is always symbolic of sin. And by Jesus dying on the cross and paying for our sins, we can be free from sin now. He did away with sin for all those who believe in him. He took away our sins. So you can see how it all fits in. And when did he rise up again? When did he uh, arise from the tomb? That first day of the week, what we call Sunday. The women came, and the, as you know, the stone was unrolled, and Jesus had arisen, and many, many people saw him. In fact, over 500 people had seen him over the next 40 days as he was teaching the disciples and teaching people before he ascended into heaven permanently. Now, what's interesting, his resurrection occurred on the same day that the high priest was celebrating the first fruits and the first fruits of God's uh, blessing the crop that they had just planted. And what does the Bible say of Jesus? He is the first fruit of, the, of death. He was the first one to arise from the dead, uh, and he has made it all available for all Christians who will arise from the dead one day when he calls us. So you can see the parallel there with unleavened bread.
Now the next feast that the Bible talks about in Leviticus 23 and in Deuteronomy 16 is called the Feast of Weeks or commonly known as Pentecost. Seven weeks, okay, after the first fruit ceremony that occurred, seven weeks, so a total of, you know, 50 days if you include that, 50 days or seven weeks, they celebrated the harvest. Remember, the first fruits was the beginning of the plants coming up, but now they have gone full uh, grown, they've matured, they're able to harvest them, and Pentecost was the celebration of the harvest. Now, how is this significant to the church? Well, you know the story in Acts chapter 2. when During the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, and all the believers of that time were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter gave his great sermon when thousands of people turned to Jesus and the church was born. And from then on became what we know as the church age. And anybody who believes in Jesus now has the Holy Spirit within them. That's how you know you're a Christian. When you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And the church age is kind of the harvest. The harvest has begun. Just like they celebrated the harvest and then started harvesting the crops, the Pentecost celebration is significant to the church because we now are in the church age. We are... Um, uh, had the Holy Spirit living within us. We were indwelled with God himself, the Holy Spirit living within us, and he's using us to harvest people's souls. How do we do that? By sharing them with the gospel of Christ, how they can be saved. And we're trying to uh, bring everybody we can into belief of Jesus so that they will all be saved. So God is using us to try and bring in as many people to be saved as possible that will choose to believe in Jesus for their personal Savior. You've heard of the old hymn, bringing in the sheaves. Well, that's what it's talking about. We're in our harvest trying to bring in as many people as we can to believe in Jesus and receive eternal life. Now, the next feast happens on the seventh month. It's called the Feast of Trumpets or commonly, uh, the Jewish people call it Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. And again, you can read about this in Leviticus chapter 23. This occurs in the seventh month on the first day of the seventh month. And that's important because the next three feasts all occur on the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. So the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. And then... On the 10th day of the month came the Day of Atonement, or the Feast of Yom Kippur. And then on the 15th of the month came the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, uh, depending on your translation of the Bible that you're using. So let's go over these, because these, I don't believe, have been fulfilled in God's prophetic calendar yet. I think these are still uh, symbols of something that have not yet occurred. So let's see how they fit in, okay? Let's start with the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. Now this is talking about not a kind of a trumpet like we think of where, you know, you have the three vowels and you're playing it and all that kind of stuff, no. And it's really not even talking about the long 
uh, cylinder uh, trumpets. They're made out of metal. This is specifically, uh, the word used here for this feast is the Hebrew word shofar. And it's a horn made from a ram's horn. Now, according to the Talmud on Rosh Hashanah, it states that the three books that God has, three books of accounts of people's lives are opened on Rosh Hashanah. And in these books are recorded the lives of the wicked, the righteous, and those in a third group that are not totally sold out to evil yet. They're not wicked. They haven't hardened their heart to that point yet, but they're not quite believers. They're not believing in God yet, but they still have a chance to because they haven't hardened their heart so much. And according to the tradition, Rosh Hashanah, the names of the righteous are recorded in the book of life at this point, and they are sealed for eternal life. And the wicked names are sealed for judgment. Now, the third group have not become totally evil yet uh, or, and still have a soft heart enough to possibly turn to God and, and receive salvation, are given time from the last trumpet blown on Rosh Hashanah and the till the next feast, the Day of Atonement, okay? And they have until that time to be sealed in the Book of Life. Now, again, remember, Rosh Hashanah starts on the first day of the seventh month. The Day of Atonement starts on the tenth day. And what happens is, Rosh Hashanah, they will blow these trumpets when they celebrate it, these shofar, these ram's horns, and they will celebrate these events. Now, it doesn't just end there. There's some more information about it. Rosh Hashanah typically lasts two days now. Now, in Scripture, it just speaks of one day. And there's evidence that that's all they used to do was one day uh, in Israel's early history. But somewhere along the line, it started into two days. And some theories say it was always two days, but I don't know. I wasn't alive back, you know, 4,000 years ago. I don't know. So we're going to have to just uh, go with what the research is today. But it's two days, and evidently the first day was the main celebration that Scripture talks about, and no work could be done on that day. No work could be done on that day. Now, what's going on here is they believe that on this day is when God decides if they are a righteous person or a wicked person. And he will seal the books. And then again, that third group that's in between, God's going to give them more time to repent and be sealed in the book of life. Now, they believe that happens and starts at Rosh Hashanah. That's when the books are open and the names are recorded and sealed. So it's really important to them that they are found to be righteous and sealed in that book. Now, Rosh Hashanah is so important to the Jewish people that they just did not just blow the trumpets on the day of celebration. No, it, I learned this from listening to the teachings of a Jewish rabbi about, oh, four, five, six years ago. And I was so impressed with his teaching of it. I did a lot of research since then and just opened my eyes to even more truths on how this feast, 
represents an important event in the book of Revelation and in end times prophecy. And let me describe some things that happens to see if you can see where this is going. So, this event is so important that the month before they celebrate Rosh Hashanah, they usually sounded a, a shofar, one of those ram's horns or a trumpet made out of a ram's horn. They would blow that 30 days in advance, a month in advance. They would typically blow it every day. Remember, Rosh Hashanah starts on day number one of the seventh month. So the sixth month, they're blowing this shofar every day, and they're doing it for a couple of reasons. One is that they are trying to keep the accuser, that's what they call them, the accuser or the prosecutor, from knowing when Rosh Hashanah really occurs, when the celebration is that God seals the names of the righteous in the book of life. Now, they don't want the accuser to know that because they don't want to be accused before God. So they blow the shofar every day the month before to try and confuse the issue. So that's one thing that's going on. The second thing is, in Jewish tradition, the last 10 days of the sixth month, people were supposed to be very reflective and see if they needed to repent. And there was a lot of praying, penitent prayers going on during this time so that they would repent and be declared righteous and have their name sealed in the book of life when Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the seventh month, occurred. So there's this time period where they're repenting and making sure they're righteous. Now come Rosh Hashanah, you can't work. There is no work going on. And then there's a huge celebration and people are blowing the trumpets, and they blow it all day long during the ceremony. Over a hundred times it's blown from the research I've done and from hearing this uh, Jewish rabbi teach. So over a hundred times it's blown during this time when they come together to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. And that is a celebration that the righteous people's names have been sealed in the book of life and guaranteed salvation. Now, the evil have been, the names of the evil have been sealed in another book, and they are headed for judgment. But that third group, that third group is given uh, the time period between Rosh Hashanah and the 10th day, known as the Day of Atonement, to get right with God in hopes that they too will found, find salvation and be sealed in the book of life. Now, what's this have to do with the Christian gospel and the book of Revelation? Well, I think some of y'all are probably already guessing. First of all, let's talk about how there's no work. You see, when it comes to being saved by Jesus, it's through faith only. You cannot be saved by your works. It doesn't matter what you do, what good things you do, you cannot be saved. And in Scripture, when it talks about the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, it says clearly, no one can do any work that day. And the Lord says, if anybody does any work that day, they will be cut off from their people. It was a strict rule, no work. Because God was trying to illustrate that salvation is by faith in God, not through works. So you're declared righteous by believing in God. 
I think it's pretty clear when you're talking about blowing these trumpets that this refers to the rapture. Remember how we talked about the rapture and it says how I the trumpet called the last trumpet and a mighty shout. Well, that's the same things that are going on in Rosh Hashanah. Just like Paul wrote in the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, at the trumpet call of God, with a mighty shout, the rapture occurs. He brings with him the souls of the people, and they rise up from the grave, and we all, the living and the dead, meet Jesus in the sky. And at that point, those who are righteous, I mean, you're sealed. You are declared righteous, and you are safe for eternity. You meet the Lord in the sky. And those who aren't evil, you know, they're kind of in between. They're having a time period between the rapture and the Day of Atonement. And we'll get to that later. The Day of Atonement to repent. God's giving them one more chance to repent and possibly get saved. Whereas the third, the other group, the wicked group, they are destined for judgment during this time period. Now, that to me speaks of the seven-year period of Jacob's distress when God pours his judgment out on mankind. And we've talked about that briefly, and we're going to go into detail about it over the next several chapters because that's the middle part of the book of Revelation is the the seven-year period of God's judgment, the day of the Lord. But remember how I said that at the rapture, you will have such rejoicing the Christians, but the unbelievers will be looking up out there and saying, rocks, please fall on us so we don't have to see the Lamb of God. Well, that's because they are so wicked. They know they're headed for judgment. But we also talked about how God marks 144,000 Jewish people to be witnesses and to spread the gospel during this time. And see, I think that is trying to get people who are not totally sold out to evil yet, haven't hardened their heart completely, those who uh, still have a soft enough heart to believe, possibly, this gives them the chance one last time to hear the gospel and be saved during that seven-year period. Now, what's interesting, let's count on the Jewish calendar. Rosh Hashanah, when the books were sealed, happened on the first day. And traditionally now, they do it two days, the first day and the second day. Now, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, happens on the 10th day. So the first two days are Rosh Hashanah. The 10th day is Yom Kippur. How many days does that leave? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven in between. So I think the seven days between Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement represents that seven-year period of time of God's judgment. And some of you are saying, but wait a minute, it might be eight days, you said, depending on how they practice it in the Old Testament. Well, that's true. But, uh, you know, there may be some time between the rapture and uh, the beginning of the, the seven-year period, or maybe there's some time after the seven-year period to do some other things. But either way, there's, it represents, I think, clearly this seven-year period 
of God's judgment that we call the time of Jacob's distress. Also, think about this. They said they blew the shofar, you know, a month ahead of time so that the accuser, the enemy, Satan, would not know when the rapture occurred or the Rosh Hashanah events occurred. Well, no one knows when the rapture is going to occur, does it? And what's the church supposed to be doing during this four-month time leading up to Rosh Hashanah? I told you, we're out there trying to get people to be saved. We're blowing those spiritual trumpets, so to speak, trying to get them to reflect and get righteous with God by believing in the Messiah. Finally, there's this period of days before Rosh Hashanah where people were told to reflect and offer prayers of repentance. The last 10 days of the sixth month, right up leading up to Rosh Hashanah. How does this relate to what we've taught? Well, remember I said that the seven seals are the last days of the church. I think those six seals, the first six seals, are represented by these days trying to get people to repent. One last uh, big push of prophetic signs coming into fruition, hoping that people will see them and repent before the rapture. So the last days of the church, we're trying to do the harvest. Then the last 10 days preceding Rosh Hashanah, people are supposed to uh, use these days as reflection. These will be the seven seals trying to bring people to their senses and make them realize they have to trust in Jesus. All the prophecies are true. And then Rosh Hashanah, the blowing of all the trumpets. And when that last trumpet sounds, the rapture, I think, is being symbolized here. And we rise up from the grave. And that is when everything is sealed. Those who are righteous are being taken to heaven. Those who are wicked are fixed to be judged. And then those who may get saved have until Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom. And what I think is called the Battle of Armageddon when he does that. They have until that time period, during this time of Jacob's distress, hopefully to see the light and repent and turn to Jesus. Because God doesn't want anybody to perish, so he gives them another chance during this time. So you can see how this fits really good into the Feast of the Lord. Well, what is this Day of Atonement then, this tenth day that they have until they repent? Well, the Day of Atonement is when everything's sealed. And the Day of Atonement, when it was sacrificed, if you read the, those passages in Leviticus 16 and uh, Leviticus also 23, uh, both those chapters, Leviticus 16, uh, goes into great detail how the high priest was supposed to do the sacrifice for the Day of Atonement. But basically, they had two goats and a bull, and the high priest would slaughter the bull and use that blood and the blood of one of the goats and sprinkle that in the Holy of Holies. Once a year, he'd go through the curtain in the Holy of Holies and spread this blood. Well, also, one goat was called the scapegoat. And the high priest was symbolically put all the sins on that goat 
and send that goat away. And he can never come back. And tradition says they ran over a cliff and would die. Also, no work could be done on this too. No work. So again, there's this symbolism of how works don't get you to heaven, only believing in Jesus. And at the end of the seven-year period of Jacob's distress, as we'll see when we study Revelation some more, it appears when crisis of his kingdom, you know, like it says in Matthew 25, he separates the sheep from the goats, remember? And some of those who are unbelievers, he sends away. So there's that kind of symbolism going on too. Now, I must confess, I don't understand all the symbolism with the Day of Atonement. I think part of that's still veiled. But then the final feast, Tabernacles, is pretty clear. That's the Millennial Kingdom. And we know that because even in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16, it clearly talks about how in that day when the Messiah is reigning in his kingdom on earth, in that day, people from all the nations will come to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So they will be having to show allegiance to Christ no matter what. So we can see that even in the Old Testament, it clearly says the Feast of Tabernacles uh, represents the Millennial Kingdom. So, as you can see, there's a lot of prophetic significance to the Feast of the Lord. Now, don't make the mistake, just because Jesus was crucified during the Passover and the church began, got indwelled by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, don't make the conclusion that the rapture has to occur during Rosh Hashanah and that the other uh, events have to happen like that too. There's nothing in there that says it has to happen that way. Uh, The calendar is set up on the Jewish calendar. These events are set up on the Jewish calendar as symbolism. And just like the enemy doesn't know when Rosh Hashanah occurs, the accuser is confused by it. There's no way anyone can know when the rapture happens. So it may not actually happen during Rosh Hashanah. It may. Who knows? We won't know until it happens. But don't make the mistake thinking it has to happen that way. Because like Jesus said, if you remember, we taught this over and over again. As Jesus said, no man will know the hour or day I come. So keep that in mind. But I think it's also very neat and very cool and very assuring to see how God's plan of how he's going to resolve the whole issue of mankind's sin and salvation was in place from the very beginning. And even in the days of Moses, he laid out a calendar. And the series of these five feasts really do a great job of illustrating how he's going to interact in mankind throughout its history. And we've seen the fulfillment of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We've seen the fulfillment of Pentecost. And the harvest is now. And we should be out there witnessing to everyone we can to bring in the sheaves for our Lord. And one day soon, we may begin to see those seals crack open. And that will be those 10 days of reflection preceding Rosh Hashanah. 
where hopefully people will be shocked to their senses of what's going on and realize it's true that they've been hearing in the Bible and maybe read one day in their lives or what they've heard from their friends. And they'll realize it's true and they'll repent and get saved because then Rosh Hashanah, the rapture, the spiritual Rosh Hashanah will occur and Christ will come for his people, both living and dead. The righteous are taken away for eternal life. And the wicked have to face seven years of judgment and worse, eternity in hell one day. But then, because of God's grace, during that same year, that same period of time of Jacob's distress, that seven-year period, He's giving people a chance to still hear the gospel because of the 144,000 witnesses. And hopefully the gospel will spread. And we see that in the book of Revelation. And even during the seven-year period of time of judgment, some still put their faith in Jesus and get saved. But others harden their heart and refuse to repent. And they will have to face eternal judgment with the rest of the wicked. So I think that's how the feasts of the Lord support what we've been teaching in the book of Revelation. So I encourage you to do some more research and you too will be encouraged about how the feasts of the Lord show God's plan throughout the ages and support what we've been teaching in the book of Revelation. Read the passages I gave you. Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 16. Leviticus 16 also to find out how the Day of Atonement sacrifices occurred. And finally, Zechariah 14, 16, that gives clear proof that God is saying the Feast of Tabernacles is the Millennial Kingdom. Read those passages, and I think you'll find those be encouraging when you realize that God is in control. Yes, times are bad now. 2020 has been a rough year. But God is in control. He's got you by your hand, brother. He will lead you down the path, sister. He'll take care of you. You keep your faith. Keep trusting him. And he will pull you through. And one day, your name will be visible when he looks at it in the book of life. And you will rise up to meet him when he comes. Something to look forward to. So until next time, please keep your eyes to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.